0: Welcome to the podcast, Faith and Works, sponsored by the Interfaith Leadership Council of Metropolitan Detroit. This is a podcast where we explore religion and community values. We look at the social ethics of America through that lens. I'm here this morning with uh, my two uh, partners, uh, Saeed Khan and uh, Robert Jones, uh, and we've all agreed to introduce ourselves this morning. So, uh, Robert, would you say a couple words about uh, who you are?
1: Hi. Um, my name is Robert Jones. Um, I am currently pastor of Sweet Kingdom Missionary Baptist Church, located on the east side of Detroit. I'm also um, a storyteller, uh, musician, um, and um, really with an emphasis on American roots music. So, um, and a storyteller. So, uh, all of those things sort of combine to create this eclectic mess that is Robert Jones. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, Robert and Saeed Khan. You-
2: sure. Uh, this is Saeed Khan. I'm a, a senior lecturer in Near East and Asian Studies and Global Studies at, uh, uh, Wayne State University. Uh, also adjunct at Rochester College and occasional adjunct at the University of uh, Detroit Mercy. Uh, Along with that, I'm uh, the host of my own podcast known as 1400OMG, uh, which uh, takes a look at uh, what the hell happened in Muslim history. That's the official tagline of the show. (laughs) And uh, like Robert, uh, a a scorching music fan, Uh, everything from uh, the garage bands of uh, Detroit and the Motown bands of Detroit uh, to the Beatles, uh, the 80s, post-punk, indie, and everything in between.
0: And I'm Bob Brutel. Uh, I'm going to act as uh, both participant and moderator this morning. Um, for uh, 10 years, I was the uh, chair of the Interfaith Leadership Council of Metropolitan Detroit and have uh, recently taken on the role of the vice chair, uh, which I'm told doesn't have anything to do with sin. Uh, for about Uh, 20 years, I have uh, been teaching history and social ethics in the uh, uh, religious studies department at the University of Detroit Mercy as uh, an adjunct. Uh, And uh, the thing that I keep trying to carve out time for, which is uh, cycling, uh, becomes more and more difficult. The more things like podcasts that I try Mm -hmm. to do, but uh, that's my avocation Cycling. I uh recently uh became uh, uh retired and have been trying to figure out how that works for uh almost fifty years. I ran constru ran and owned construction companies. So uh that's a little bit about uh the three of us. I wanted to uh introduce this uh this topic this morning, uh which is one that fascinates the three of us, and I hope uh those of you Listening will also find it uh, fascinating. Uh, we want to talk this morning about the function of religion in America. Uh, it seems to us that uh, you know there is the belief, and there are the uh, religious rituals that each uh, group uh, uh, ascribes to. But uh, America itself has been formed by its uh the presence of so many different religious understandings and traditions and so uh this morning's topic is to uh, kind of work with that idea um, to use a cliche to to unpack what it is that uh uh represents the function of uh, American religion in uh, in this uh, uh culture that we're participating in you'll remember from uh the, the last uh, podcast that we did that we talked a little bit about, uh, what is religion becoming? And so, uh, that will be a consistent theme in the work we're doing. We, we really, all of three of us and uh, the other guests that we'll have in the future, uh, want to look at, uh, what is becoming of religion now and whatever history we need to bring to that, uh, that will uh, try to inform that idea. Uh, and, and earlier today when we were doing a little editorial discussion about this, uh, Saeed brought up the idea or uh, reminded us that uh, recently Jay-Z has been called Judas. And so it seemed like an appropriate place to start because uh, that is a uh, a religious understanding. That's a religious metaphor. So we're, what were we talking about there, Saeed?
2: Well, we were talking about uh, how Jay-Z has uh, now uh, uh, inked a deal with the National Football League. Uh, as a consultant, and uh, ostensibly to uh, to provide some kind of uh, advice and consultation on uh, matters of of social justice, reconciliation, and uh, and racial harmony, uh, people are looking at this cynically for two reasons. One, because uh, it seems as though what uh, Jay Z's real uh, objective is is to become a part owner of an NFL team. Uh, But also what seems to be uh, his attitude toward Colin Kaepernick, uh, the former NFL quarterback who uh, took a uh, a decision to uh, protest uh, police uh, violence against people of color by taking a knee during the national anthem. Jay Z said, uh, "Kneeling, we're 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 over, or kneeling is so over, or something like that, or we're past kneeling," and uh, seems to have uh, by a lot of uh, Jay Z's detractors uh, thrown Colin Kaepernick under the bus, uh, a betrayal of uh, the kind of uh, racial sensitivity and uh, attention that Kaepernick was bringing to a very important issue, uh, seemingly only for his own. Uh, profit motive, uh, so his, uh, 30 pieces of silver, shall we say. And so the invocation of, uh, of Judas, uh, seems to then be, uh, a very, a very common, uh, way that, uh, that Jay-Z is being seen by not just a few people.
0: So say, do you think that, uh, in all of this discussion recently about, uh, the demise of religion, uh, when uh, When someone hears Judas used in that context, uh, are we losing that? Are we losing that sense of in this case the uh, a common cultural understanding of uh, the uh, the Christian texts uh, you know the 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 gospel texts uh, or scripture uh, or is that still just part of the water we're swimming in and uh, we haven't lost that.
2: I don't think we've lost it at all, Bob. In fact, uh, uh, religion never left. Uh, this is, of course, one of the things that we're exploring in, in, in the series. Uh, in fact, if anything, it seems as though it's a very comfortable uh, home base uh, for people to use somewhere and here I am as a Muslim uh, for whom uh, Judas certainly doesn't have any kind of theological uh, resonance uh Buying into that language, uh, I think it's also fascinating to see that uh, if you want to carry this even further, uh, Jay Z, as uh, Robert reminded uh, us earlier, is also known as Jehovah by others. So this invocation of him as being some kind of a divine or at least a messianic figure is how we now see celebrities. And in the case of Jay-Z, it is this transformation, this kind of Kafka-esque metamorphosis for his critics. Jay-Z, the social justice warrior, now has become Jay-Z, the uber-capitalist. And in many ways, tracking how some people might say Jesus has metamorphosized in the collective imagination of not just a few Christians in this country, Jesus going from a social justice warrior to Jesus being a capitalist.
1: Wow. So uh, somebody that I really respect said it to me um, this weekend. He said, "Uh, you might know this particular preacher, but there is a nationally known preacher who says, quote, I want to be the first uh, I guess ministerial billionaire and, and he's working toward that. So there is this idea of, and I think to a certain extent, it, it has helped to weaken people's regard f- for the spirituality of religion. But there is this idea that there are these preachers who, whose goal is to get rich. And according to this theology, um, part of your success is measured by the amount of wealth that quote, God lets you make. Um, which is really bizarre when you (laughs) think about Jesus walking everywhere and getting the tax money from the, from a fish. <laughs> from the mouth of a fish. I mean, so you know, so so bare bones was Jesus in his ministry that you now have a generation of folks who think that part and parcel of your ministry should be the amount of wealth, the car you drive, the plane you own, the number of of satellite churches that you have is somehow Indicative of the success and the blessing, the blessedness of the ministry that you're over. So very much like Saeed says, you have this idea of Jesus as the social warrior, the, the radical, the, the one who's saying you cannot serve God and mammon. And now you have these figures who in somehow are our religious heroes or our uh, our spiritual leaders who embody this idea of acquiring wealth. Um so much so that that, you know, we invest in their music, we invest in their product as an and, and we treat that as almost an investment in their ministry or their message.
0: That uh. That whole idea uh, really interests me. Uh, the reason, uh, I, I think the reason I'm interested in it especially is that uh, religion uh, is uh, represented today as being, in a lot of circles, as in, as being all bad. And so certainly uh, hearing you talk about, uh, hearing the two of you talk about uh religion becoming capitalist or religion abandoning uh its ideas of social uh the need for social change and caring for the poor and, and all of that. Uh, one of the the uh misunderstandings I think about the Jewish scripture is uh, that it should be understood as a proof text for uh Jesus, that everything in the uh the Jewish scripture is supposed to be leading to the sort of final uh, end of Jesus. But as I have just tried to uh, divorce myself from that notion and just read the Scriptures, uh, the Jewish Scriptures seem to represent a people who are contending with rather than heading toward something. They're, they're living life, and there are the rich, there's Saul, there's David, uh, you know there are all of those stories of uh, of excess, and then there are the stories of Jeremiah and the prophets who are calling the Jewish people to task for mm-hmm. that. Uh, and it seems to me that if we uh, if we see religion in that context, we can see both the, these wealth gospels as being representative of a people who uh, maybe have, have lost their way as david seemed to at, at a certain point in his uh his uh, ruling career and uh then others who you know come back to understand the what what we might call the true meaning or the difficult meanings mm-hmm. uh and contend with the really difficult meaning of the of the scriptures uh what what does that seem like to the the, the two of you of are there are there scriptures that are you know written on the subway walls uh that we should be reading today that would tell us uh, this you know what true religion might be or uh is it that we've just lost uh you know the context of uh, uh of uh you know the understandings of sharia where you know you're supposed to give charity and uh, take care of uh, those others what 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 does that elicit from you
1: i, I think that you know first of all uh, i agree with saeed Re- religion has never gone away okay so you always have this uh this conflict and i think you will always have this conflict um there is a time when uh, we're making money uh and everybody seems to be wealthy and we're moving toward this Utopia of, of, you know, prosperity. And then up pops the prophet who says, you know, you, you think everything is going well, but the widows are not taken care of and the orphans are starving and people are not receiving justice and God is not pleased. So, you know, strap up because God's going to put an end to this pretty quickly if you don't change your ways. There have always been those profits, those kind of, you call them apocalyptic if you want to, and there will always be, I think, those profits. And one of the dangers that we lapse into periodically is this idea that, you know, isn't your paycheck bigger? Can't you buy a bigger car Uh, you know, you, you, you can enjoy your big screen TV and your, and your six pack or 12 pack or however many (laughs) you have to have in your pack. And isn't America great? And this and this is what America is all about. And then you have the prophets who say there are people in detention centers, um, who are being mistreated. And you're comparing those detention centers to a concentration camp. There are young people who are roaming around without a, without an ethical center. You have people who have weapons that can kill 20 people in about 10 seconds. And there is this frustration and this fear and this inhumanity that's going on in the midst of your prosperity and that you must attend to this. Because God is not pleased. That's a, a message that has always; those two messages have always existed, and I think will always exist until, or unless we somehow change the paradigm of what it is to be successful. If if this paradigm of being a successful country was that our most vulnerable are taken care of, and we take pride and joy in that that we have no. You know, no children going hungry, no, nobody having to pay for, uh, healthcare in the sense of your life depends on your income. If, if we kind of got to the point where that is the paradigm of our success, then, you know, then we, then we might be able to talk about, um, uh, there being some kind of a reconciliation between those two aspects of religion. But we're a long way from that. And I'm not sure that, pardon me, before Jesus comes back, if we'll ever get to that. So, you know, my thinking is that those things have always existed and will always exist.
2: Well, first of all, thank you for invoking Simon and Garfunkel there with the uh, the subway <laughs> wall reference, the words of the prophets. Uh, you know, for me, I look at. You're talking about the Jewish Bible. You're talking about then, of course, the New Testament. We can even talk about the Quran in 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 the same way. What was the purpose of these scriptures? Uh, I, I think, in some ways, part of the the challenge is is how they're perceived. Now, if you take a look at the Jewish Bible, was it a diary? Was it something that was written in real time by people? putting down their thoughts as far as how a society should function i mean if you take a look at leviticus if you take a look at deuteronomy for example is it a biography of the jewish peoples uh is it then something to be seen as a chronicle which then provides a history a uh, an identity uh, for, for our peoples. Those are two completely different readings. Is it something that is prescriptive? Is it something that is for future progeny to then embrace, uh, infer, apply? And also, I suppose we could ask the question, who is that progeny? What is the class of people? Is it, again, just the descendants of the Jewish people, or is it something that is more universalistic? The New Testament also has to be seen in this regard. Um, it may not necessarily be seen as a history of the Christian people or the early Christian community. Uh, but there is certainly something very prescriptive about it. Some could even say it's prescriptive beyond the Christian community as well. The Quran is not the history of the Muslim people at all. And would take on therefore um, – on the one hand, it it's a diary because it – according to Islamic tradition, comes down in real time through revelation to the prophet Muhammad. But it is prescriptive both for the time and for the future. And it speaks in two different vocal registers. It speaks to an audience of believers, and then it also speaks to all of humankind. How we now in the 21st century then uh, interrogate these texts really depends on which section of the bookstore we find that 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 copy mm. if you look in the history section that's going to then affect the way that you uh go for the book and how you interpret it if it's in the philosophy section subconsciously you're going to then see it primarily through the vehicle of a of a of a philosophical tome and if it's in the uh how to or the DIY section <laughs> that's going to change things uh, dramatically as well and we right now uh, it seems are caught in a crossfire of multiple narratives without a clear cut uh, consensus on how to interpret these or at least in which level and we find that some of our religious uh, leaders are making that decision for us in ways that are not comfortable for us because it's not our natural language. Some people avoid entire sections of the library or bookstores like the plague because their comfort level is somewhere else. And yet when we are confronted with somebody who is now putting all of these religious texts in the section of political science or in the section of economics or business, uh, that seems to grate against the sensibilities of an awful lot of people who see uh, these strictly in the in the uh, in the section of the bookstore of spirituality.
0: I was fascinated earlier, Saeed, when you mentioned that uh, you had really come to realize uh, a couple of years ago when you did the pilgrimage, the Hajj. Uh, you recognized that. Much of your understanding of—I'm going to put words in your mouth—but of how you express your own religion or think about your own religious understandings uh, has come through a Christian lens, and uh, that really uh, responds to the question that we're thinking about this morning, which is what is the function of religion, and. Uh, Christianity and its function in America and in Great Britain where you also were raised uh, has had a great influence on your life. You might say a little more about that.
2: Sure. Um Although I'm Muslim, I, I have no hesitation in saying that I've been reared culturally Christian because – irrespective of how secular the societies might be and whatever that means we can maybe tackle that in a future episode uh the zeitgeist the, the prevailing spirit is is uh, predominantly christian and perhaps even more uh, uh precisely a, a protestant expression of christianity and of course that's one of the one of the issues in america that as uh there's more of a Catholicization of America thanks to a greater Hispanicization of America. What will that mean? Uh, but it was not a form of uh, Christianity which I found to be incompatible. Uh, I could be a Muslim and I could be culturally Christian. But of course – there is going to be an impact on uh, the lens through which i then perceive my own religion and uh, 2 years ago i was fortunate enough to perform the hajj the major pilgrimage one of the uh, the five pillars of obligation for a muslim in in his or her lifetime by excuse me traveling to saudi arabia and more specifically to mecca and on the culmination day of the hajj 3 million people are gathered in a valley, uh the plain of Arafat, where between uh s- between noon and uh uh sunset, uh, they are gathered to uh offer supplication and prayer for forgiveness of their sins and the objective of the hajj is to have one's sins expiated. And it was interesting that while I was there, I could feel this uh a very conscious, uh, shift in my, in my thinking that my entire life I've spent really in, in the West and in the so-called Christian world. And I realized how much I had imbued and internalized Christian tropes like fallenness, uh, original sin, redemption, salvation. Uh, these are not, uh, natural terms within uh within islam but nonetheless it is because of the cultural architecture even in pop music we were talking about how uh the the the, the oracle that is Mick Jagger singing please uh, allow me to introduce myself uh, is singing sympathy uh, for the devil and how that relates to milton's paradise lost uh the idea that this was the music that I was listening to, it subconsciously sublimates into my consciousness. And I had this moment at the Hajj where I was able to then finally divorce the Christianization of my Islam into then thinking outside the presumption of original sin, the presumption of the whole crucifixion, redemption, salvation narrative, which is, of course, such a powerful, such a compelling, such a central feature of Western culture. And recognizing, again, that it did not make me any more alien to the west and my surroundings i came back to uh detroit after performing the Hudge. i still drive on the right hand side of the co- of, of 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 the road and uh and and as such uh but it's important to recognize how as we were talking about before robert that mm-hmm. religion is always there and particularly how religion then impacts affects and refracts uh, a religion that may not be one's uh, one's own. We're talking about this, uh, this earlier, Bob, about how this then all blends into what it means, not just about religion, but specifically American religion and how other religions then have had to go through, uh, I think you've called it before, the widget factory.
1: Mm-hmm. I think about the, listening to your experience on the Hodges makes me think about Malcolm X and his experience. Very much right? so. And it's like, all of a sudden he is surrounded by uh, multitudes of Muslims. Some look like him. Some look like folks he had never thought, he'd always thought of as the enemy. They're all Muslims. And it's like there's got to be something about being, for one, a better way of putting it, uh, a Muslim fish and a Christian tank, that when you now become a Muslim fish and a Muslim tank, you know, a lot of the things that, that you need in order to be able to function in this Christian society, you don't need them. They, they can, in a sense, fall off. Then when you come back, you, you know, you come back. And it makes me wonder, too, how we understand that folks who live carry the same metaphor, how folks who are Christians in a Muslim tank— you go and you do a cartoon of Muhammad, and then you 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 just shocked at the at the violence and the vehemence that people who take offense to that cartoon react with it. You know, because in America you can parody anybody, anybody, and and basically ah uh, you, you, you might ruffle a couple feathers, but you go to a place where it's understood that there are certain. Certain, um, people, certain personalities, certain icons that you don't touch and you don't parody and you don't mess with. And then we take our little Western sensibilities and we do it. And then, Oh my God, they're fanatics. They're this. No, they're really not. It's like you have, you have tweaked, uh, you know, you've gone to Vatican City and thrown
2: poop at the Pope.
1: And it's, it's like, that. nice alliteration. Thank you very much. <laughs> it, it's, you know, it's that offensive. Well, but
2: we, well, we have that here. I mean, in Muslim countries, it may be a caricature of the prophet Muhammad. Over here, it's the flag. Yes. We were talking That's earlier true. about, say, Colin Kaepernick mm-hmm. and Co- Colin Kaepernick's blasphemy was that he kneeled, uh, during the national anthem. Right. So, so we certainly have these totems over here. Now, we don't need to talk about uh capital punishment uh because even in 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 most muslim countries these things uh are not punishable by uh by by capital uh sentencing but clearly when it comes to what perhaps in america is a, an even more egregious punishment uh social pariah status or having your economic uh well-being damaged because you can no longer get hired by the NFL. Uh, there are certainly lines that cannot be crossed here. I like the point that you made about Malcolm uh, at uh, at the Hudge. One of the things that perhaps we need to uh, unpack regarding uh, particularly America, maybe more broadly the West, maybe more specifically sort of the Enlightenment era and beyond, is the notion of individualism. Mm-hmm. What Malcolm recognized when he's at the Hudge is Defying the now Western human tendency in the modern era to look for difference. Mm -hmm. There's something about individuality or individualism that causes us to reflexively look for something that is different. And Malcolm has this moment where he actually puts that aside and says, let me focus on sameness. Let me focus on what brings people together. We are at a point now in uh, certainly uh, uh, America's uh, history, uh, present and, and and near future, where the focus on individualism, uh, certainly brought about by identity politics, shows that we are almost actively looking for ways to distinguish ourselves from one another. And so – how toxic that has made the the environment uh, really needs to be better assessed.
0: So h- human beings are uh, really interested in the meaning of things, right? Uh, there is a need, I think, a, a very compelling need for us to Figure out the meaning. Are we the same or are we different? Uh, how are we the same? How are we the different? What, what is the meaning of, of this or that action? Uh, religion has always provided, uh, the, the myths. We probably should do a podcast just on myths sometime, but, but religion has always provided the myths by which we live. And, uh, in America, uh, as we talk about the the functioning, we should look at I think it's important anyway to look at the the history of uh, America. Uh, the question always is where do you start and uh, i've in my courses, I have difficulty figuring out uh, because every time I start someplace, I think, well, you really need to understand something that was going on before that, and <laughs> you know we keep going back but but uh one of the things that I think is powerful is to look at the Early history of America in terms of, uh, the Spanish, Portuguese, Catholics who were, uh, showing up on the North American and South American shores and the, uh, the English who both brought their religious understandings to America in ways that I think, uh, when you talk about how you had to differentiate your, uh, Muslim understanding from your Christian uh, cultural upbringing, Said, Uh, I, I think that it's, uh, clear to me anyway that, that it began, uh, that Christianizing in certain ways began in the early history of America. You take the, the Spanish and the Portuguese who, who came to these shores, uh, with both, uh, missionary priests, friars, and also uh, soldiers, and so they came for the cross and the sword. Uh, the uh, the English don't come with such a, a military understanding, although they uh, act as their own militia, as the uh, the Native Americans uh, figured out quite soon. But they bring uh, an understanding of uh, the Calvinist religion in their Pilgrim and uh, and uh, uh, Puritan uh, understandings. Uh, these two uh, experiences of Christianity, uh, have their echoes, uh, reverberations today. Uh, I think you were expressing that. Robert was also, uh, so let's look at that for a minute. Uh, the sword and the cross. Uh, you had some interesting uh, understandings of that. Robert, what, what were you uh, thinking about the sword and the cross and how that's influenced us even today?
1: Well, uh, the idea that, um, when you come to a place and you find a native culture there, uh, that you can tell yourself that I'm doing them a service because I bring the cross. But if you don't want to accept the cross, then I have the sword, which is totally un-Jesus-like. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that comes Really, from the culture, that comes from, say, when Rome adopts Christianity as its religion, you graft the religion onto what is still a conquering uh, empire, the idea of empire. Uh, you don't come to America purely for the virtue of of um, bringing the religion to the natives. you come looking for the resources that you'll find in America. And if the the if the natives don't want to give those resources up, then the consequence is the sword. But you're doing it under the guise of spreading Christianity, of making it better for them ultimately, for their souls, even if you kill their bodies in the process, which is, you know, a, a horrific thing to run into when someone says God loves you but not the way you are. God loves you with the lessons that we're going to teach you, uh, even if we have to teach them to you by force. Um, I I think that has all too often been the way that Christianity has spread. Now, admittedly, even with that, Christianity brings some good things with it. It it often brings this idea of uh, the priests who have, you know, has a sense of social responsibility. It's 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 amazing how we keep going back to movies. But I remember a movie called The Mission with Robert Excellent. De Niro. Excellent movie. Jeremy Irons, Robert Jeremy De Niro. Irons, Beautiful. Right? And one priest is, see it. is passive and and is you know nonviolent, and the other priest is a former soldier. And, you know, picks up the sword and, uh, you know, once, one guy's gonna deal with it in a nonviolent way, another guy's gonna deal with it in a violent way, and both of them ultimately end up being destroyed by this machine that's bigger than both of them. So, right? Oh, I hope I haven't spoiled it <laughs> for anybody who hasn't seen that movie. It's
0: still worth seeing.
1: But it's, uh, it's amazing, right? Mm-hmm. So, you, you've, you've got that idea that this machine, uh, this, 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 this um behemoth, which uses religion as its as its guise, is going to be satisfied, regardless of of how you um oppose it. And I think you have to realize that that when you look at the myth or the or the the stories that we find in the Bible, it's saying that God is not on the side of this behemoth. God is, is always reminding us that this behemoth is a construct that is created not in his image. Um, and, you know, without getting way, way out there, I hope, uh, look at the book of Revelation where you look at this idea that the, the, the last thing that falls is the horror of Babylon. And people debate what that, you know, who the whore Babylon is, or what what that what that symbol represents. But I think it's it's the whole idea of money. It's the idea of commercialism. That is the thing that has motivated and driven all of the atrocities over the years. In the name of religion, we will do anything for the love of money.
2: So, it's interesting if you take a look at f- the four main, uh, countries of origin for, uh, the American experience in the 17th, 18th centuries. I mean, I don't want to discount the Dutch. I mean, they came over. I get that. New Amsterdam. But the Spanish and the Portuguese, uh, come to America not as, uh, not as runaways. They're not fugitives or runaways or renegades from escaping persecution. In fact, if anything, they're coming representing the church, right? I mean, you've got church sanction, uh, church underwriting, uh, with the Holy Roman Empire, with, uh, uh, even back in 1492, the church's, uh, involvement with Ferdinand and Isabella in underwriting, uh, Columbus's navigation. They come here as as Robert said, it's about plunder it's about resources it's about acquiring not just resources but land to come under the authority of the church and uh, their constituent uh, kingdoms in, uh, in in Europe. so the mentality is totally different. Uh, they're also Catholic obviously uh, The closest approximation you have to northern Europeans with this is actually the French and their uh, sojourn into what is today Canada. They bring missionaries as well, some of whom were even here in, in the metro Detroit area, like uh, Gabrielle Richard sure, and, uh, yeah. and Marquette. For them, it seems as though they weren't as interested in uh, converting the, the natives. For them, it was much more insular. And this perhaps maybe is more of a cultural French thing than anything else. For the English, not Catholic, uh, both Calvinistic, some, uh, Anglican church. When they come to the Americas, it is literally to settle down. They are escaping something. So their mindset is, is, is entirely different. Their interaction with the native population is entirely different. They do not see conversion as being a priority, an imperative. For them, at best, they are a group to overlord and at worst, a group to exterminate because they just simply are an obstacle or an impediment for something else. But you look at the development of religion in the American colonies and it starts off by a recognition that we need to have boundaries. Uh the Calvinists who come in, the Puritans into the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1620, and mind you, they weren't the first to come here in 1619. Of course, we have slaves that are brought over here, and we're on the anniversary, a 400th the 400th anniversary of that. And mm-hmm.
0: we have the Anglicans that came before them.
2: That's right. I mean, you've got it uh, at Roanoke and all. Right. But so you have then an internal uh, conflict among these various Christian groups. Roger Williams establishes uh, a Baptist colony in Rhode Island because he did not want to be under the authority of the Calvinist, uh, both religious authority as well as the cultural and political authority that was established in Massachusetts. And so you have then the establishment of state religions within the 13 colonies, Uh, Maryland, Virginia, uh, for example, leaning – at least in Maryland, Catholic – but it seems as though there was a decision made early on by the founding fathers that this was not really a tenable model if we were going to come together as a as one nation. They were probably heavily influenced by what was happening in Europe, the solution to the 30-year wars over there. In, in the 1640s was the concept of the nation state, Europe reorganizing itself with boundaries and borders where people were brought together by their own uh, specific ethnicity, religion, culture, language uh, for homogeneity's sake. And it was good to keep the peace. That wasn't a model that would have really worked in, in America. And so you find then the need to deregulate religion uh in uh, uh, as away from the model of having each state having a religion to it being religion neutral this would allow people to travel from one place to another not feel inhibited to go from one place to the other because let's face it having having different uh state religions would make it as probably problematic as having different currencies in each state Mm -hmm. having well of course they didn't have electricity back then but imagine having different plug outlets uh, in in different states you needed a sense of unification and so they had to remove the impediment that that kind of diversity of religion at the state level would bring
0: yeah and and it seems to me that we need to uh, at some point uh, in another podcast talk about the significance of disestablishment and how that has informed our culture, opening up uh, what you might call the market for ideas in religion uh, in America, has had uh, huge implications for America, and, and probably is one of the things we're struggling both for and against in America right now is the the idea of a, of some sort of an established uh, religious concept that might come under the rubric of uh, of white nationalism. Uh, one of the things that uh, that Robert mentioned, and probably that we're we're headed toward a close here for this uh, particular uh, podcast, uh, because we were talking, uh, uh, we wanted to make sure that we talked a little about the understanding that uh, Robert mentioned earlier that we have both good and uh, bad inclinations within within religion. And I was reminded as, as you, Robert, were talking about, uh, the Portuguese, uh, and uh, Spanish coming with both the cross and the sword, that they also came with, uh, Bartolomé de las Casas, the, uh, the first bishop in the Americas who, uh, at first, uh, argues that you can't, uh, you can't enslave native people. Uh, but then eventually, uh, he, he at first he says, well, what you, what, the, 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 uh, the Africans are more suited to enslavement than the, uh, than these natives. But he later comes around to realizing that he was wrong in saying that also and, and changes his mind. And he argues vociferously, uh, w- a voice that is probably very prophetic, and in both the fact that he seems to be a prophet uh, for a better way of thinking, but is also uh, a voice crying in the wilderness because he's uh, mostly unheeded. But uh, but it seems to me that there are these voices within religion, and they seem to come out of religion. Uh, I'm looking at our current political context and it's hard for me to see the um uh, the s- some of the current candidates f- to oppose uh our president Without seeing them in a prophetic role, not all of them, and and I don't want to get this into just the politics of individuals, so you can uh, guess which uh, candidates I'm talking about, but I think that there's a couple of candidates who are being very prophetic in the way that they're uh, coming to uh, their values and the way they're 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 suggesting that a certain aspect of Christianity be emphasized, uh, one that that they would see and that many of us would see as the more positive aspects of Christianity. So uh, is, are there any, uh, any final things that uh, you all would want to say about that uh, that uh, di- uh, dialectic of both good and bad forms of religion? Well,
1: you know, I, I guess my, my metaphor is the same, again, the same stove that cooks your breakfast can burn your house down. So religion is, is kind of like that. It depends on the person who is using it or responding to it and if they are responsible or not. Because religion has this, um, has this power to do great good and has this power to do great evil. Um, when we talk about uh, the fact that America is symbolized by this lady in the harbor who says, bring me your poor, your, you know, your huddle masses yearning to be. Or that's, that's, that's a great ideal. And then when the man on the top says, why do we keep getting folks from these hole countries? Why can't we get Scandinavians and sweet and Swedes? Uh, it just seems totally antithetical to this idea that America is. This collection of folks who come and within a couple generations can be sometimes less than a couple generations can sometimes come and reinvent themselves. And in, in macrocosm, I would say that's America. In microcosm, that's Detroit. People came here, got jobs, maybe didn't have a requisite amount of education. Or, or any of that, but they came with a willingness to work, could find work that was backbreaking and hard, but gave them more prosperity than anywhere else they could have gone. And they created new lives in, you know, in this city and surrounding this city. So that is a, a wonderful, that is a wonderful metaphor for what this country is. Uh, and what this country should be. Now, the fact is that if you get here first, and you establish that there is a pile of food, there is a pile of wealth. Um, there's something about laissez-faire capitalism or deregulation that says, if I climb on top of that pile of food first with a shotgun, it's my pile of food. Now I am the privileged, and I'm looking at you coming after potentially my wealth and I must protect it I must it must become territorial And so now we're having folks who are looking at the folks who are coming and saying, you know we want to participate in this dream too. Our ideal is to come here and 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 participate in this ideal that is America And you say no, America is for Americans uh, you know forget about the fact that two generations ago, you were trying to get in and you were being ostracized. And if you were Irish or Italian or, you know, Muslim or whatever label you had, or if you were African-American and ultimately, no matter how hard you worked, you could not assimilate past your own skin color. And you have all of those challenges. But, you know, for some folks who can speak the king's English and and have straight hair and a certain complexion, Okay, we'll let you in. Okay. So 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 now, so then you have the the totally bizarre experience to me of the black Republican conservative Trump supporter who says, Yeah, we've got to protect this country from them. Not realizing, of course, that a couple generations ago you were them. That, yeah. That that makes for some really interesting times here in America. Uh, we've got to um, we've got to reconcile that somehow, because the the work of the church is to you know if we cannot serve two masters, which master do we serve?
2: Yeah, you know, it's um, you're you're asking the question about politicians speaking within a certain uh, religious register. Uh, in the upcoming elections uh, as a counterweight to Trump. Uh, Trump, uh, in fact, today uh, uh, said that he appreciates somebody likening him to the king of Israel and the second coming of God. Uh, Clearly uh, Trump traffics. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, let let that sink in. Uh, Clearly he traffics in a certain theological narrative and vernacular. And more importantly, he has been given that dispensation, uh, pardon the pun, uh, by religious leaders in this country. It's ironic that he does so in a way that many would argue defiles religion as a whole. At the same time, you've got people who simply wanted to take the oath of office when uh, being elected to Congress using a copy of a Quran that belonged to the personal library of Thomas Jefferson. People like uh, Keith Ellison uh, when he was a congressman from uh, Minnesota. More recently, people like Ilhan Omar from Minnesota, Rashida Tlaib from right here in the metro Detroit area. And this was seen as a heresy, uh, even though, of course, there is absolutely – no requirement constitutionally for uh, taking the oath on a religious scripture or on anything for that matter. At the same time, then, you've got politicians now who feel the need that they have to counter Trump's invocation of theology with theological language because they know that this vocabulary is in play. Mm -hmm. They know that this terminology Mm -hmm. is what is resonant. I remember 20, 25 years ago. Whenever I'd watch a uh, an award show, whether it was the Oscars, the Emmys, the Grammys, people who would come up on stage all had a red uh, lapel uh, 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 ribbon, and that was to bring attention to the the AIDS uh, epidemic. They would thank, usually in no particular order, their agent, their significant other, uh, maybe uh the producers moms uh right. uh and and other people who were involved in the project you would rarely hear somebody thank god and or jesus now that seems to be almost all people or uh, whom people want to thank when it comes so the country has definitely shifted when it comes to what is the vocabulary and the expectation uh of of that and uh we were you you mentioned the word uh as far as uh how religion is uh, vying for market share. Mm -hmm. So you've got two uh, competing views on this. On the one looking at America as a marketplace of ideas and everyone's throwing their hat into the ring with a particular religious expression. Now, roughly 38 to 40% of this country seems to subscribe to a particular religious expression that is personified by the president. And then the remaining 60% is trying to jostle to see what is their religious expression. Now that religious expression is either going to be something in the affirmative or it's simply going to be a reactive one saying I don't know what exactly our religion says but I can tell you what it isn't which is uh, what what is being tweeted uh from the white house. At the same time the other model is not looking at well whoever wh- whichever model wins by the forces of market economies that's fine. The other is looking for a monopoly. The other is looking to even buy, and when I say monopoly here, even 51% then defines what it is for everybody. Mm. So I think as we move forward, both uh, as a country and a society and with this podcast, we need to then bear in mind how these market forces are driving religion and perhaps not the other way around.
0: So. uh We'll we'll conclude uh, along these lines uh, today with uh, this podcast, which I uh, seems to tease, as far as I'm concerned, a lot of ideas that have to do with the formation of the the culture that we call American. Uh, this culture has uh, been, uh, uh, you know, really uh, come about from some really powerful intellectual and uh, religious ideas. Uh, It's hard for me to imagine in this time when we are saying that there's uh, the uh, imminent demise of religion in America, where will those values that uh, Christian people call prophetic, where will those values come from? Since there seems to be a tendency always to uh, overdo coercion and to overdo, uh, o- overuse uh, your inclination towards uh, selfishness and uh, acquisitiveness. Uh, what will be the, where will those, uh, forces come from if they're not coming from the ways we've seen them in the past, the, the prophetic understandings that have come from religion? I want to, uh, uh, tell our listeners that, uh, we've got a couple of other podcasts, uh, uh, that are going to uh, be in the future, uh, that are, uh, that we think of as as showing the range of the kinds of things that we could talk about and will talk about in these podcasts uh, Saeed is uh, going to put together uh, a podcast uh, in the near future that looks at uh, technology uh, artificial intelligence and its influence on the culture and its r- uh, relationship to uh, religious expression and uh, Robert is going to of uh, course put together a, a podcast that uh, talks about uh, religious expression uh, through its music, and uh, in both cases we're going to introduce uh, some guests uh, who will be a part of these presentations. So I hope that uh, our listeners will look forward to that and give us uh, some ideas about these both positive and uh, negative aspects of religion and its function in our American culture. And with that, I will say to you that you have been listening to the podcast, Faith and Works, which is sponsored by the Interfaith Leadership Council of Metropolitan Detroit. Until the next time, uh, we look uh, very uh, uh, favorably on hearing from you what it is that you think we should be talking about these days. Thank you.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Faith and Works Podcast, sponsored by the Interfaith Leadership Council of Metropolitan Detroit. Music on today's broadcast comes from bensound.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.